Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right, welcome back. Rob Breckenridge uh, sitting in with you today and for the next couple of weeks. Still to come with the program, we'll talk about uh, single event sports betting remains technically, always has been illegal in Canada, even if a lot of Canadians do it. But it actually appears as though we're on the cusp of legalizing this. And I think there's sort of a a shift happening. And we see it in the United States, which has previously taken a pretty hard line against sports betting, now embracing it. Professional sports leagues are starting to embrace the idea. So where is this all headed? We'll talk about that coming up after 11 o'clock. After 11.30, we'll talk about some of the federal government's plans for uh, changing the Official Languages Act and promoting the use of French in Canada. One of the proposed changes, and we're going to focus on it, is enshrining into law the requirement that Supreme Court of Canada justices be bilingual. Is that practical? Does that make sense? Is it constitutional? We'll get to that after 1130. So much more still to get to in the program here today. Uh, Right now, I want to take a look at a fascinating new book, which kind of uh, juxtaposes, I guess, the way in which we're hardwired, right? We're products of evolution, the way our brain works as a result uh, of all of that. And even though we think of evolution as bestowing advantages, that appears as though maybe the way we're wired isn't necessarily compatible with the world we've created for ourselves. Uh, that certainly we have a number of health challenges we're facing as a society, even before the pandemic. And certainly this has exacerbated all of that. It's uh, the topic of a new book. It's called uh, Hardwired, How Our Instincts to Be Healthy Are Making Us Sick. Joining us on the line is the co-author of this book. He's an emergency physician and professor of public health at the University of Alberta, Dr. Louis Francis Cuddy. Joins us on the program here this morning. Dr. Francis Cuddy, thanks so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's interesting because, I mean, this isn't necessarily meant to be a book about neuroscience, but certainly I think the way we're wired is is very relevant in, in understanding the, the world we live in today and, and how we're interacting with it. So what, what was the impetus uh, on, on your part for, for this book and this exploration? Well, my colleague, uh, my co-author from Calgary, Dr. Uh, Robert Barrett, and I have uh, for many years now been working on safety and uh, trying to help organizations understand um, safety and, you know, why people do what they do. <clears throat> and so we, you know, we, we gave a series of presentations and people always come up to us afterwards and, and say, well, you guys should capture, you know, these thoughts and put them in a book because they make so much sense. And so what we did was we, you know, put together um, a book that's based on stories and research that uh, makes us try and understand why we do what we do. Uh, without thinking about it. So, you know, the concept that we're actually hardwired to survive has been with us for millions of years, and it's worked, right? 
so now, unfortunately, what's happened is uh, we have it too good in our society in terms of access to food, access to um, you know social media, and these are having real consequences in our lives. And people have to understand that it's not what they're doing or not doing; it's just the way they're wired. What Rob and I say is that uh, we're running on outdated software. And the few of us that have been able to figure out how to, you know, create our own patches and survive in this modern world um, need to share that with others as well. Because on the surface, it seems straightforward enough. I mean, you know, I have a vested interest in being healthy. So logically, I, I should follow that path. But clearly, we, we don't always do that. So where, where does the conflict come in and, and where is our, our wiring uh, a part of the problem? Well, let me give you a good example. Uh, if you've got young people around you, just take a look at them and see how they're so addicted to their devices. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is <clears throat> that for you know hundreds of millions of years, uh, we understood the concept of being socially accepted and the importance of being socially accepted so that we could you know share with the food, the limited food that was found or the limited shelter or finding out where mates were or fire was or where water was. And so it was very important to us to have a sense of belonging to, you know, a group of individuals. And what social media does uh, is immediately start establishing those, uh, you can call them tribes or clans or cliques. And if you, you know, realize that when somebody gives you a like or sends you a tweet or sends you a message or an email or your phone vibrates or your phone rings, that actually releases endorphins in your brain. And it uh, creates this reward system that, you know, we strive for more likes, you know, more uh, hits and, you know, more friends. But yet that creates this almost this empty world that you can portray yourself to be what you're not on social media. And then when it eventually hits you that you're maybe not as good as you're uh, pretending to be, um, it hits you hard. And that's why we're seeing such a rise in mental illness amongst our young people, uh, such a rise in depression and stress. You know, the World uh, Health Organization predicted accurately by 2020, depression was going to be one of the leading causes of disability. And we're seeing it, you know, we're seeing it uh, play out right in front of us. And what the pandemic did was uh, show us quite clearly that the haves and the have-nots are going to have a different outcome uh, to this pandemic. And unfortunately, uh, folks that um, are in the have-not category are getting hit far harder than folks that are in the uh, have category. Yeah, and, I mean, obviously, this this book has its roots pre-pandemic, as you mentioned. Um, but but as you say, then are, are we seeing we're seeing a lot of this exacerbated? I would imagine. How has this been illustrating some of the the additional points you make in this book? Well, well we start off by you know talking about hospitals and how dangerous hospitals are. And uh, we do that because we want to emphasize the importance of wellness. And so the whole book is uh, premised on, you know, how do we better control uh, risks within our lives? How do we crave cravings that, you know, for millions of years have kept us alive? You know, you got to remember our forefathers and foremothers used to, you know, scrape to find a morsel of food. And then when they did find that morsel of food, they were rewarded like we are rewarded every time we, you know, find food and eat. But unfortunately, what's happened within our society currently is we got way too much food. And so what ends up happening is, you know, the more you eat, especially salt, fat, and sugar, 
the more you're rewarded with your brain. And your brain thinks that you're doing a great job, that you're a great hunter, you're going to be a great provider for your family. And yet it's the exact opposite that's um, that's happening. You know, we talk about sleep and the importance of sleep. Uh, you know, something that society has almost completely forgotten, that there's a reason why we sleep for so much. You know, the brain resets itself when you're sleeping. Cancer is, you know, fought when you're sleeping. You can solve complex problems when you're sleeping. And yet, <clears throat> being socially wired uh, makes it very difficult to, you know, fall asleep, stay asleep, and, uh, you know, wake up well rested. So the book is a series of stories that we tell uh, that people, and, and they seem to be enjoying it. I mean, it's sold out a couple of times already. People, you know, read the book and say, wow, I can relate to that. And it's quite simple. You know, we've taken good science. Uh, we've tried not to interpret it and just present it based on uh, our experiences. And, uh, yeah, it's resonating quite nicely. Yeah, that's good. And I mean, and, and I think this, you know, it matters to people, obviously. It's it's kind of about who we are, the choices we make, and, and you know, the science behind all of that. But as you alluded to, I mean, it's not just an assessment of the problem and then saying, you know, things are bad and here's why and, and walking away. You, you know, you made the... You know the reference, the metaphor of the the uh, the software patch for the outdated software we're running on. So, in kind of rethinking this or changing our approaches, whether individually or collectively, where, where do we begin? Well, what we need to do is understand that the forces that are making us do what we do are literally hardwired within us. And so, it's it's not good enough to just say, uh, don't eat as many hamburgers or stop smoking or don't do those drugs or, you know, be nice to people or get your sleep. It's important to read <clears throat> and understand why these things are happening in the first place and then to come up with some solutions. Uh, one of those solutions, for example, has been to rediscover the social determinants of health. You know, the people that do well within our society are people that have had their, you know, basic needs met. So in other words, um, they've had uh, good parenting, they've had uh, good consistent social support as they've been growing up, they've had an opportunity to get an education that's led them to a good job, that led them to, you know, the ability to afford good housing, uh, the ability to attract good mates, and then the understanding of the importance of social cohesion. You know, uh, we talk about loneliness in the book, and we know for a fact now that loneliness is, worth for, is worse for your health than smoking. And yet where uh, are we with regards to what the UK has done? The UK has a minister of loneliness whose sole function is to try and create um, more connection within society. We, we talk about happiness and we talk about the importance of volunteering. You know, people can get 40% happier by simply volunteering. If happiness is 100%, um, I can break it down for you. 50% of that is genetic. You either inherit it or you don't. You can only get happier by about 10% by having stuff, okay? Having money mm -hmm. will only make you about 10% happier. But you can become 40% happier by volunteering. And that's why big companies like, you know, the Telesis of the world have formal volunteer programs incorporated within their structure because they understand that, you know, employees that volunteer are happier employees, are more likely to be more productive, more likely to have less, uh, you know, absenteeism and less turnover as well. So if the reader just wants to start getting a little happier, all they have to do is, you know, go out there and start volunteering. Um, so we talk about happiness. We talk about sleep. We talk about things that, uh, you know, 
are, are pretty topical today. And then we put a little bit of science behind it. And then we always come back to linking it as to how we're hardwired either for or against those choices. It's quite fascinating. The book is called Hardwired, How Our Instincts to Be Healthy Are Making Us Sick. Dr. Francis Cuddy, thanks so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Bye now. All right, take care. Dr. Lewis Francis Cuddy, uh, co-author of Hardwired, How Our Instincts to Be Healthy Are Making Us Sick. He's an emergency physician uh, in Edmonton, also a uh, professor at the University of Alberta. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We'll take a pause here. A few other things to get to before the top of the hour. Our phone lines are open as well. In Edmonton, 780-496-00. Six three in Calgary four zero three nine seven four eight two five five. Rob Breckenridge sitting in today. We're back with more right after this. Welcome back. You know, as our guest says, look, loneliness is is a real problem in society. Loneliness is a health risk. Like there, there's a danger to loneliness. And I think, in fairness to the Alberta government, it's been a guiding principle in the decisions they've made around public health measures. Now, obviously, throughout uh, all of this, since March of last year, uh, the government has taken criticism on both sides, that they've gone too far or not far enough. And I think at the moment, we're, we're in that same kind of dynamic, aren't we? But you look at the decision around getting kids back in school, the decision to allow some kids' activities to resume, you know, the provisions that exist for people who live alone, some of the additional measures they put in place uh, on, on that front over the Christmas break, all with that in mind. But it's clear that we're all longing for more. And there, there is a real fatigue that's setting in. And I think that that isolation and loneliness is, is really taking a toll. So how do we balance all of that? I mean, I, hopefully we can keep moving forward. We'll see what uh, this week brings. It's been uh, a couple of weeks since uh, restrictions were first eased. And I know the government wanted to take sort of a three-week snapshot of that before making any decisions on where to go from here. So let's hope we can keep moving in the right direction because really we need to. More time for your phone calls here. Let's go back to the phones and uh, we'll say hello to David. David, good morning. Welcome to the program. Good morning, Rob. Congratulations on being promoted to the whole day. <laughs> for two weeks, yes. Appreciate that. <laughs> Very quickly, um, six months ago, I would have said, I'm talking about um, Supreme Court judges being being bilingual. Mm -hmm. I would have said no, because I object to it. We want the best minds. But what I did find out was if somebody's in, if a judge is interested in rising up the, up the ladder to the, eventually being on the Supreme Court, they can get free French lessons. And I'm not French. I barely mm -hmm. speak French. I can say bonjour, and that's about it. But if I was French, wouldn't I like to talk to somebody who is fluent in French? To me, it seems that I don't like being... I don't like concessions continually being made to Quebec and the, the French part of the country. But I think this is something that if you're really interested in doing it, that's a qualification that would not be unacceptable to me. 
Okay, interesting point, David. Appreciate the phone call. We'll talk about that coming up after eleven thirty, right? And there's there's a difference between sort of being um, a little bit bilingual and completely functional bilingual. So, what kind of a threshold should we have in place for Supreme Court justices? And a lot of these are political considerations, which I guess to some extent we have in terms of regional representation or having you know diversity amongst the judges. All of these factors. Would bilingualism be another? But again, the requirement would be that every justice be bilingual, and the federal government's proposing to make that the law. So is that going too far? We'll talk about that coming up after 11.30 this morning. Uh, this is Mark. Mark, welcome to the program. Hey, Rob. Uh, I'm sure your guest is a very smart man. Obviously, he's a doctor, so he's got to be smart, right? Um, I just find it hard sometimes... Um, People, I, I don't, I don't believe in race privilege, but I do believe in class privilege, and it's a little easier for someone who, who's maybe, maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. I'm not 100 percent sure, but may, maybe he's lived a privileged life, and it's easy to say, you know, get better friends, get better educated. Obviously, you're going to end up better in life in in most cases. I would prefer having a um, uh, a, a former heroin addict or an alcoholic or um, uh, someone of that sort. To, who's turned their life around uh, and never really had any class privilege growing up, uh, but maybe became successful. But anything this guy is saying, there's nothing radical about what he's saying whatsoever. It's just all uh, uh, stuff that's it, it's common sense for someone who, who grew up maybe maybe the way he did in a, in a, in a, a privileged class. I, I would have liked to have known more about his past, uh, what he came from, uh, and how he got to where he is. And that way, I find it I find it a lot more interesting to listen to people who who've actually um, uh, fought to, to get where they are, and not just you know had, had it handed to them on a silver platter. Not that he has; I have no idea. But in most cases, I'm sure that he has. So for me, it's just it's just I find it a little more interesting listening to someone who has had a, a really rough life and, and turned themselves around, and not really had um, uh, um, me, for instance. I'm not well educated. I've always survived. Uh, that's my instinct, is, is survival instincts. Like he talked about hardwired. Uh, for me, it's more about um, um, surviving rather than, than living. But uh, anyways, I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but I'm just trying to okay. make a point. That, yeah, Mark, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, I appreciate the call. I mean, look, it, it, the book isn't the uh, Dr. Lewis Francis Cuddy story, right? Uh, the, the book is a book about science. And so you got a couple of scientists who are endeavoring to present that in, in a way that, uh, you know, they hope people can, can understand and appreciate it. So I, I don't think they're looking to insert themselves into the story or say, be like us in any sense. Uh, I wanted to get to this. And we, we talk about, you know, the social isolation, the frustration with the uh, ongoing public health measures and where that's spilling over. We saw again this weekend, uh, this uh, Grace Life Church west of Edmonton, the pastor who's uh, in the remand center at the moment for defying injunctions, uh, even with his absence, hundreds packed into Sunday service yesterday. So uh, that, that defiance uh, very much still on, on show over the weekend. Let me go to clip number one here, if we could, here, Patrick. Uh, more on this story uh, from Global's uh, Chris Chacon. Even in the absence of Pastor James Coates, Grace Life Church still held its Sunday service. Good morning, Grace Life. Inside, another pastor stood at the pulpit. 
outside, hundreds eager to get inside. But members controlling traffic were heard telling people driving up that they had already reached its fire code maximum capacity and were encouraging them to watch the live stream. Parkland RCMP were also on site. In a statement, RCMP say the church once again did not comply with public health orders by exceeding its capacity limit. Police say they'll continue to investigate and will consult with AHS on next steps. But inside, it was service as usual. I did speak with Pastor James this morning on the phone. His voice was its usual self, strong. And he wanted me to pass on to you that he is doing fine. Support for Pastor Coates continued Sunday with a service held outside the Edmonton Remand Center. This followed a massive gathering Saturday with hundreds demanding his release. The church and its pastor have repeatedly violated public health restrictions put in place to reduce transmission of COVID-19. It is unfortunate when anyone's faith leads them to, to actions that put them sort of above the law or outside the law, because that can... It's almost always just going to result in unpleasantness. Netta Fillett with the Edmonton Interfaith Centre says there was a need to be absolutely clear about where the centre stands. And even if we feel called by, by, by our God or the divine to do something that is not for the social good, we should think about that and think, are we listening to God? Are we listening to our ego? Are we listening to our our own possibly selfish desires. Coates is due in court again on February 24th. Chris Chacon, Global News. All right, so we haven't heard the last of uh, this story, I, I suspect. We'll see what Dr. Hinshaw has to say about it later on today and whether there's anyone else there to, to speak to all of this. Coming up in our next hour, we'll talk about uh, where things stand uh, with uh, single event sports betting. Canada appears to be on the verge of legalizing it, should we? Also, uh, coming up after 1130, as mentioned, we'll talk about whether Supreme Court justices should be legally required to be bilingual. It's Rob Breckenridge with you on the Chorus Radio Network. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.